So if you guys are able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, out of respect. All right. This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word, it's true, and it's given out of his love. You guys can be seated. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. Well, it is great to be here worshiping with you all this morning. It's such a, a wonderful time, a, a year to be at church. Advent, uh, if you're not familiar with the word Advent, if you didn't grow up in a church that, that would light candles and have wreaths and do something called Advent every Christmas, the, re- uh, the, the word Advent is a Latin word that just means coming. And so with it, it's in church history, we have taken the season leading up to Christmas, the four weeks leading up to that, to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus in the incarnation when he was born, uh, born of a Virgin Mary to come in the flesh, to live and obey in our place, so that he could then die for our sins and rise three days later. And so when he, when he came that first time, that was the first Advent. But when we celebrate it as a church, we're looking both directions on this timeline of history. We're looking backwards towards Christmas when Jesus first came, the Advent of the Incarnation. But we're also looking forwards to the, the end of time when Jesus' second Advent will take place, when he will return at the end of time and he'll finally vanquish all of sin and suffering and pain and all of those things. And so, so Advent is a really important time for us as Christians. And so because of that, like Brandon said, we're going to break from our study of Acts, and we're going to spend some, some time meditating on a passage in Matthew. And, and the reason it's so important for us to do this is because Christmas is an insane time of year for us as Americans. There is so much going on, and if we are not intentional about focusing on who Jesus is leading up to Christmas, we will get completely swept away by all the cultural current that is going to push us away from Jesus towards other things. And so in our busyness, we can tend to neglect the important things about Christmas and the picture of who Jesus is. And whenever we neglect something, what ends up happening is we will eventually begin to doubt it. Not necessarily doubting whether or not Jesus was born or doubting whether he's God, but a lot of times we will doubt that it makes a difference in our day-to-day lives. And so our prayer is as we go through this Advent season in these next four weeks, that we would not only see the beauty of the Christmas season and all of the the decorations and the songs and and the good food and the good times with friends, but we'd be able to enter into this this season for for all that it's worth for our souls. Uh, Because this is a beautiful time of year, right? Uh, But it also can be a painful time of year for many of us where we're we're dealing with the emotions of of loss and things that we have left behind this last year. Uh, It's a a busy time of year. we're We're all searching for something. We're all trying to do shopping and all these things get them done and in the midst of that business we can forget who it is that Jesus is calling us to become. Uh, It's also a a noisy time of year. There's so much going on that if we don't uh, calm our souls and listen for the voice of Jesus we will we will miss him amidst all the other materialism and things that come our way this year. And so so what we're doing is is in the years past we've either taken four weeks to study like Luke 2 and the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, We we have taken time to to study what each of the the candles represent and the advent wreath of, of hope and love and joy and peace. Uh, we've also spent some time studying some theology over Christmas. But what we're going to do this, uh, uh, this Advent season is a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We are going to just dive into three short verses in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, that passage that Brandon read. Uh, we're we're going to study nothing else besides that for the next four weeks. It's just those three verses. If you've been here for a few years, you've already heard a few sermons on those verses, and we're going we're gonna to do four more before we're done here in December. But the reason is they are such a key picture of who Jesus 
Jesus is. And, and like Brandon said in his announcement, they have all the places in the Bible, there's only one spot where Jesus says, this is my very heart for you. That this is who I am at my core. This is what I feel towards you. It's, this passage is completely unique. And so, so the reason why this book is so important, the reason why, if you don't have a copy yet, please take it home with us. It's because this author does a great job of just plowing into those verses. He takes a lot of quotes from Puritans, uh, some, some old Reformed pastors and people, and he shows us that in this heart of Jesus, Jesus who is gentle and lowly, we find the answer to everything that is we're looking for. Okay, so, so Christmas can be a time in December where we feel the weight, the burdens of all of life, the pain of everything that has happened this last year, but our prayer is that as we enter this season that we would be able to lay those aside and see the beauty of who Jesus is. We want to be able to put aside our burdens and spend some time lingering with Jesus. And when you linger with Jesus, you will experience his love. You cannot be with Jesus and have anything other than an experience of his love because that's who he is. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, um, and then we're going to get started this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you that we can have some time today to just be with you, uh, to put aside the busyness of everything that's going on in, in society right now, put aside the noise of all the different technology and things that are screaming at us, and instead just in the still and quiet of this moment, hear your voice, hear your love for us, hear your gentle beckoning call where you, you call us to your side to experience more of your love. And so I pray that we would, as we do this today, that we would experience your love in a very real and powerful way. And so in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So as we get going, if you want to find your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 is where we will be started this morning. Uh, and as we get going there, again, I want to read a, a quote from this uh, book that uh, Dane Ortland wrote that's on your, your table. This is, comes from the introduction. And the reason I want to read this is because I want this not only just to set the tone for this sermon or for these next four weeks, but I wanted to set the tone for our hearts and what it is we're trying to accomplish. So, so this is not, we're not doing a book study the next four weeks. We're not just going to study this Dane Ortland book. It's a great book, uh, but we're trying to get to the heart of Jesus, and I think this uh, book does a great job of that. So uh, some of the quotes aren't going to be working, but it looks like, like this one is behind me. So what he says is, this book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us but suspect we have deeply disappointed him, who have told others of the love of Christ yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors mild resentment, who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired, who are convinced that we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord, who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such numbing darkness, who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally parsimonious. Uh, it is written, in other words, for normal Christians. And the reason I wanted to open with that quote is because I think all of us, because of how we have heard the voice of Jesus presented to us through society and through some of our own sinful heart tendencies, we can think that that is an accurate picture of who God is, that, he, that he, is, he is slightly frustrated with us. He might love us because he has to, but he doesn't really like us. He doesn't really want us to be with him. And I think that that's the, the false idea that we all wrestle with, that we want to push through this year and see that when you come to the heart of Jesus, you come to him who is love, who loved you so much that he was willing to give up his life for you. 
And so like I said, we're going to spend our time in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Uh, um, the, the, the Puritans used to do this thing where they would find a verse or two and they would write all that they could about it and then take 600 or so pages to the publisher and they would title it a book and that would be how they would do all their writings. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next four weeks just looking at these three verses because we want to plumb the depths of all that it has for us. So when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you have been around our church, if you've been around any church for any length of time, you are so familiar with these verses that when we read them, they can kind of just go right over your head, just right in one ear and out the other ear, and we don't really appreciate what they're doing. And so, I, so you're going to hear that, that passage probably 10 more times this morning. And so as we read it each additional time, as we focus on each additional word, I, my prayer for all of us is that we would not just have them be words on a screen or words on a page, but instead we would hear them as the actual voice of Jesus coming to us in the midst of whatever it is that we're feeling this holiday season. And so this morning, we're only going to deal with the first 10 words. I think they're in yellow font on the, up there. Um, and, and the reason is, so we're going to take this passage, we're just going to break it into four different weeks. So, so come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Okay, that's the words we're going to be diving into this morning. The reason that, that these, these words connect so well with each of us is because they speak to the, the deepest longing of each of our hearts. Uh, we all, no matter how good of weeks we had, we came into the gym this morning somewhat belaggered, somewhat tired, somewhat feeling burdened and weary. We're, we connect with the concept of needing rest. And when we talk about being labor, or laboring and feeling heavy laden, that is a picture of all of our lives way more often than we would want to admit. Okay, like when, when life feels hard and heavy, when things feel difficult and burdensome. And so the first invitation of Advent that we see, this invitation of Christmas, is it is for anyone who is feeling laborious and heavy laden. If you feel tired and worn out, this is for you. But this is the first barrier that we have to Advent also, is because who, want, who of us wants to admit that we're weak enough that we need help? I mean, like, imagine that you're in, like, in a line of people carrying firewood because it's December and you kind of do those kinds of things around the holidays, and someone says, hey, is this too heavy? Do we take a load off, or are you doing okay? None of us want to be the guy that's like, oh, no, this is too heavy. Can you take a few logs off? I can't quite do this. We all want to think that we can pile more and more on, and we can show the world how competent and strong and faithful we are, that we can do whatever is put in front of us. But if you listen to these words again, and as, I, as we talk about being uh, uh, laboring and being heavy laden, here's some of the synonyms that other translations have used and see if any of these words connect with you. Does, does your life feel like it's full of effort and toil? Are you tired? Are you wearied? Are you troubled? Are you struggling? Are you spinning your wheels? Do you feel like you're on a treadmill that just won't slow down? Okay, that's the first half of this. Those are those of you who labor. Okay, that, that's the something, things that we do ourselves. That's an active word. We are currently laboring. The other word, heavy laden, is a passive word. It's not the things that have done by us, our labor. It's the things that have been done to us, the things that have been dumped on our shoulders. You can also translate that uh, burdened or weighed down or experiencing the pressures of life. Okay, and so all of us will fall into one of two categories. One of us, some of us will be like distancing ourselves from these verses and saying, uh, burdened and weighed down, laboring and heavy laden, that's not me. These verses must be for someone else who's really struggling with life. But I think I got this. And the reason we think we got this is because we have some made up resume that we have built that we look at and we say, do you know how I got this? Because look at my life. 
Okay, look at my family. Look at my success. Look at my career. Look at my, my physical health. Look at the, the, how hard of a worker I am. Look at all these things that I have going. And what that tells us is that you connect actively with that first half of that sentence. If you feel like these verses are not for you because your life's going so well, what that really means is you're just currently experiencing the labor and toil of trying to make your life work on your own. Okay, it's like you're on a treadmill and the treadmill has been turned up to level 10. We can all handle that for a few steps maybe or maybe for a little while, but eventually if the treadmill doesn't change, we will eventually fall on our face and experience the pain that comes from that. So rather than continuing to try to live on the treadmill and laboring, thinking we can do it under our own strength, why not get off the treadmill before we get hurt? Hear the voice of Jesus inviting us before we go into that place. The other crowd of us, that's the people that are distanced from this, the other crowd of us looks at these verses and we say, laboring and heavy laden, that is me. When you read over those descriptions of toil and burden and all the things that's been done to you this year, you connect deeply with that. You have the tears beginning to well up in you because you know deep down that you are laboring and your life feels heavy laden. And in some sense, what I want to say to you, if you're in that category, first of all, this is the best place to be. These are the best words to listen to. And even the pain in your life that feels like it's unbearable right now, that is actually a mercy of God in your soul because God is using that to remind you that he is the one that you actually need. Okay, here's another quote from Dane Orland in that book. It says, Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. It says, all who labor and are heavy laden. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Think about that. The hardest thing in your life right now, the thing that you think, if I only got rid of this, then I could be a good Christian. Okay, that very burden is the thing that qualifies you to come to Jesus. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, you're laboring, or whether you're passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside your control, you're heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own. That is a beautiful sentence. Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest and come in out of the storm, his desire for your heart is stronger than even your desire that you find that rest and comfort. Okay, and that's true no matter how big or how small the burdens are that each of us carried into this room this morning. Okay, I was talking with our daughter Reagan about this this week and she was saying how you talk about being uh, laboring and being heavy laden and as Americans it feels a little bit ridiculous to say, yes, my life is hard. Because you look at people in the rest of the world, you look at people throughout different parts of history and you're like, my life is really hard? What are you talking about? Talk about like first world problems. Like we couldn't get our, our brand new TV hooked up correctly right away and we feel like our life is hard right now. And the image that brought to mind for, for her uh, was that, that, remember those old Geico commercials where the guy would ask the rhetorical question, like could it really save you 15% or more? And then he gives you a rhetorical answer. And one of them was, uh, does, a, does a drill sergeant make a terrible therapist? And there's this guy on this couch who's complaining about his problems and the drill sergeant throws Kleenexes at him and yells at him. He's like, you know what makes me sad? You do. Why don't we go down to Mamby Pamby Lamb and get you some self-confidence? And this, this drill sergeant just, just rips this guy a new one. And I think that's how a lot of us feel God feels about us. We're like, my life's not hard. I should stop complaining. But Jesus' desire for you to find rest in him is stronger than even your own desire for rest. 
Okay, pain is perspective. It doesn't matter how big or how small your difficulties are. Jesus wants you to come to him. That's what these next four weeks are all about. So the problem is that when we talk about Jesus wants us to come to him, there's competition for his voice. Okay, when Jesus says come, the problem is he's not the only one who says come. There's plenty of other voices that are saying come to me out there. And, and so, so when we talk about whether or not your life is, uh, whether you're laboring and heavy laden, all the evidence we need that our lives are broken and that we need help, we just experienced that two days ago on this wonderful national holiday called Black Friday. Okay, the reason Black Friday works is because every advertiser in the country has figured out that you know deep down there's something wrong with you and you're trying to plug that gap with something. Okay, the reason those commercials work is because we're trying to fill that void in us with something. And so when we hear another voice saying, come, we want to listen to that voice. So Mercedes says, come to Mercedes and you will finally present that image to all of your neighbors that you are successful. Okay, or, or, or Old Navy or, or some clothing company says, uh, if, if you come to Old Navy, you will finally have the clothes that all the cool kids are wearing. You might actually be popular among your peers. I don't think the cool kids are actually wearing Old Navy. I don't know <laughs> what they do. I shop at Old Navy, so it must not be Old Navy. Um, come to somewhere else. I don't even know how to apply to, right? Or Best Buy says, come to Best Buy, and you will finally feel that void and the numbness that you have with enough entertainment to distract yourself from how bad your life really is. Okay, all of those voices work because deep down we know that we are heavy laden with burdens and we want to come to something. But the problem is there, it's like the sirens song in, in Odysseus, right? It, it's, an, it's an empty song that sounds nice, but if you go to it, it will only lead you to death. Okay, they're, they're empty calories at best. Our kids have been watching that uh, TV show Alone where they take a group of people and they put them out in the middle of the Arctic North for 100 days and see who can survive through it. And one of these uh, characters on there, um, all of their food supply came from catching rabbits. Uh, so they had plenty of rabbit to eat, but the problem was rabbit doesn't have enough fat on it. It's a lean enough meat that you can eat all the rabbit you want and eventually you will starve to death. Okay, that's what these voices saying, come to me, are doing to us. You think when you get that new TV, you think when you get that new car, you think when you get that vacation you were longing for, you think when you get the little bit of popularity you were hoping for, you think that is going to fill this desire, but it's an empty calorie and your soul is starving to death because it's not what you actually need. Okay, so good, good for us though. The only voice saying come that matters is Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us to come to him. He's saying the same thing as the world, only instead of it being an empty promise, he actually gives us everything it is that we're actually needing. And so that, that, like I said a little bit ago, if you are feeling burdened and, and heavy laden with all the things in this world, the good news is, is that coming to Jesus is where you will find the rest that your soul's after. And I think a, a helpful passage to compare this to is in Luke chapter 14. Uh, and in this story, uh, Jesus tells a parable. And I think in this parable, we see the answer to why a lot of us are continuing to struggle with this concept of coming to Jesus. Luke 6, uh, 14, verse 16. But Jesus said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Okay, so in this, in this parable, this, this character hosting the banquet is Jesus. And he's sending this invitation out just as he is sending it out to us today. He said, come, Come to me, for the banquet is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. 
So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Okay, so, so the people that seem to be working well in life, the people whose life seems to be stacked up in their favor, who have the money to buy new fields and oxen to make more money and their relationships are going well and they're just married, the people who the world seems to be stacked in their favor are the ones who reject the voice of Jesus saying, come to my feast. Okay, it's the lame, it's the blind, it's the beggars, it's the outcasts of society, it's the people whose life feels like they are laboring and heavy laden. They are the ones who respond to the invitation of Jesus to come to him. Okay, it, it's no coincidence that those heavy loads that we feel are used by God to remind us that we need him. And so the invitation of Jesus is to rather than waiting to find out on our own that success and wealth and all those things won't answer our problems, he invites us to come to him before that takes place. Because if you think about it, like uh, we all want a degree of wealth and comfort and we all want a degree of, of popularity and success. And so if you look at the problems that we feel in our hearts, wouldn't you think that all the celebrities and the billionaires in the world would have it all figured out? Right? But, but why is it that if you read any newspaper, any tabloid, uh, that celebrities seem to have broken marriages just as often as the rest of us? People that are wealthy seem to deal with depression just as often as the rest of us. People that have everything going for them seem to have the same problems that we have, which makes it seem like the variable is not how successful is your life. The only variable that matters is have you come to Jesus when you hear his voice calling you? Because that's the, that's the point of the whole uh, direction of Advent. When he says, come to me, this invitation has a direction. It's not just come to any voice who says they will fulfill the needs that your heart has. The invitation is come to Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is the only place we can find these answers by coming towards him. The problem, though, is when we look at our lives, we say, deep down, I know how bad of a sinner I really am. Deep down, that quote I read in the beginning, we have this idea that for some reason God's love may extend to other people, but he probably harbors some resentment towards me because he knows how wretched and how big of a sinner I really am. I, th I think the most important question I've ever heard someone ask, and we ask it all the time around here, is when God thinks of you, when, when Jesus thinks of you, what is the look on his face? Like we ask that quite a bit of times, but I want us to continue to meditate on this question. When Jesus thinks of you, what is the look on his face? And I think for many of us, the look that we think he has is one of disgust and disappointment, and he's distancing because he's just so fed up with us. But I don't think that's the picture we get of Jesus in the Bible. Let's, let's, let's look at another story uh, from the Gospel of Mark to see how this is illustrated. Uh, this is from uh, Mark chapter 10. Beginning verse 46 is this, um, yeah, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, as Jesus was with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So let's, let's pause right there a second. This guy, he's blind, 
Okay, the, the world is not working in his favor because if you're blind in the ancient world, you're, you're doomed to poverty the rest of your life. He hears that Jesus is coming through and in his heart, he wells up this desire to come to Jesus. He starts screaming as loud as he can for Jesus to come heal him and the crowds respond by telling him to shut up. They're like, you, Jesus doesn't have time for you. You need to get back in the corner where you belong. Don't bring any of your problems to Jesus. He has more important things to do than deal with you. And whether that's an internal voice that we feel or whether that's been an external voice that has been spoken over us in our lives, I think we all struggle with this idea of whether or not we're allowed to ask Jesus for help. I think we hear the crowds telling us to shut up and leave Jesus alone, and we think that those words apply to us rather than how Jesus actually responds. Look at the rest of the story. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. Okay, now listen to this other quote from Dane Ortland. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are, not going with, you, are, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. When you come to Jesus for mercy, you are going with the flow of Jesus' deepest emotions. You're not going against them. So that question, what is the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you? What was the look on Jesus' face when he thought of Bartimaeus that morning? Do you think he was disgusted? What I think happened is when Jesus woke up that morning, he said, I'm going to get to heal this guy Bartimaeus today. And I can't wait for him to call out for me asking for help because when I heal his eyes, I'll be the very first face that he ever sees and I will get to experience the joy of healing this man and showing him how much I love him. Okay, that is the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you. Okay, he he it longs for a relationship with you. He longs for you to be near him. He longs for you to come to him and have all your burdens cast aside and he desires that for you more than you and I even desire it for ourselves. That's how great his love is for us. Okay, John 6, 37 deals with some of the same concepts. In John 6, he says, uh, Jesus is talking, and he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay, and here's how John Bunyan, uh, the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, here's how he describes that quote. He says, had there not been a proneness in us to fear casting out, Christ needed not to have waylaid our fear, which is just an old English way of saying Jesus knows deep down that we're afraid if we come to him, we'll get kicked out of his house. And because Jesus knows that deep down that's our fear, he wanted to address that fear right up front and say, if you come to me, you don't have to fear being cast out. Anyone who comes to me, anyone who the Father draws to myself, I will never cast them out. Okay, that's the answer to the question of what is the look on Jesus' face. Just to keep going with these quotes because they're so awesome. <laughs> Here's another one from Dane Orland. It says, fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. But the only thing required to enjoy such love, the love of Jesus, is to come to him, to ask him to take us in. He does not say, whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts, 
He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No matter what the weight is we feel like we are feeling inside, when we come to Jesus, he will not cast us out. He will not push us aside. Again, his desire for relationship with you, that you would find rest in him, is stronger than even our own desires. And so what our prayer is for this Christmas season is that we would spend these next four weeks training our hearts to love the correct thing. Okay, training our hearts to believe that Jesus does actually love us. That when, when you come to his mind, the look on his face is delight and joy and love and affection. Okay, that's where we want our hearts to be trained. But the question is, how can we train our hearts to believe that when we spend 99% of our waking hours believing the lie that if I just had a little more money, I would be fine? If I just had a little more approval from my peers, I would be fine. If I just had a little more time away from the kids, I would be fine. If I just had a little more sleep, I would be fine. If I just had a little more health, I would be fine. All of these things, we listen to those voices more than we listen to the voice of Jesus telling us that if we come to him, he will take our burdens and our cares upon himself. You know, uh, we've been doing the, the reading plan, the New Testament in a year as a church. Uh, and I don't know if you read this morning's reading, 1 Peter 5, but in there it says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I thought, what an amazing sense of God's sovereign timing with that passage. That, that, that's the very same concept we're talking about. No matter what cares or burdens you carried in here this morning, when you give them to Jesus, he will take them because he cares for you. So again, this Christmas season, lean in to all the means of grace that you have. So that, that book, it's, tw- it's 23 chapters in an introduction. Read a chapter a day. Spend the time slowly meditating on what it is that he has for you, what, what it is that it shows us about Jesus. Spend time in prayer and in the scriptures every day. And when you do those things, we'll find our hearts begin to reorient around the love of Jesus. Instead of believing that we need the, the picture-perfect holiday season to have a meaningful life, instead we'll see that if we have Jesus and nothing, we have everything that counts in life. And that's why I think Christmas is an amazing season because it has given us all the evidence we need to know that God loves us. If you doubt whether or not Jesus loves you, what other evidence do you need than the fact that he was willing to leave heaven, to leave the prestige and comfort and glory and majesty that he deserved there, to take on human flesh and to live for 33 years on this earth dealing with all the mess that we're mired in every day because of how much he loves you. The reason we can come to Jesus like he asked us to, the reason we can come to Jesus this Christmas is because Jesus has already came for us that first Christmas. You can come to Jesus because Jesus has already come for you. Right, that's the most famous verse in the Bible, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, or another way to say it, whoever comes to him should not perish but have everlasting life. One final quote from Dane Orland. He says, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Okay, when you think about the hardest thing in your life right now, that is the reason Jesus wants you to come to him, not to run away from him. Okay, because we can come to Jesus because he has already come for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your word for us. I thank you that in just these short 10 words that there is the answer to, to what it is that we all need and long for the most. God, we confess that we are laboring, that we are heavy laden, and that there's so much in our lives and hearts that makes us doubt 
whether or not you could actually love sinners even like me. But Lord, I pray that as we read these verses, as we, as we ponder these concepts, I pray that your spirit would awaken our hearts to the fact that you do desire us to come to you. If you didn't desire that, you never would have came for us in the first place. So may we, may we may drink richly of that truth. May we, as we turn to our tables now, may we encourage one another with, with the words of your gospel and may we uh, fall even more in love with you as we do these things. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, well, if it's uh, your first time here, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, the reason we sit around tables is because I think the best way that we can grow as followers of Christ, or even if you're here and you're not a Christian, the best way you can come to understand who Jesus is is by hearing his word and then by processing it with other people. It's not just us locked alone in our heads, but we're taking these thoughts to each other on our tables. So I have a couple questions to get us started, and these are just some guidelines for your time. Uh, again, it's a safe place. Know that anything you say, uh, that you'll be loved well at your table. The first question is, how are you most likely to answer the question, when Jesus thinks of you, what is the look on his face? Again, not, not even maybe right now in this moment, but if you take like an average of your week, what is your default answer to the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you? Uh, and then how does Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 shape your answer? Or how, how should it shape your answer? And secondly, what feels difficult and burdensome? What, what are you laboring and heavy laden with right now in your life? And how does the invitation of Jesus to come to him provide an, I think I wrote an answer, uh, it's the answer. Okay, just in case we're clear, Mercedes is not the answer or Old Navy is not the answer. How is Jesus the answer to this problem you're feeling? So we'll do that for about 10 minutes and then we'll end uh, with a time of worship. All right, I hope your discussions went well. Um, again, this is such a, a blessing to be able to have a place where you can sit with other Christians and answer questions honestly like this. Uh, like the question of, of what is the look on Jesus' face when he thinks of you? That's, again, one of the most important questions I think you can answer. And because in that answer shows you how deeply you believe the gospel. Because if the gospel is true, then it means that all of your sin, all of the things that would ever separate you from Jesus has already been dealt with on the cross. And because of that, you can come to him with hope and joy, knowing that he loves you. He loves you enough to die for you. So what we're going to do now is that we're going to try something we've never done before. Um, like this morning, I already felt a little bit different, right? Like we don't, we normally do way more than 10 words. We do like, you know, 20, 30 verses, something like that. And so we're going to uh, try this morning, uh, and hopefully every morning of Advent, uh, to spend just a, a minute or so in just quiet, prayerful meditation. So we have uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight on the screen behind me. Um, and it's, uh, the goal is that as, we, as Aaron plays guitar and as we just uh, spend some time here with Jesus, that, that you would pray through and meditate on what does God have for you in those verses. Because ultimately it's the voice of the Holy Spirit we want to hear this morning, not the voice of anyone who's up here front speaking. And so we're going to just spend, like I said, uh, 60 seconds or so just thinking about and praying through what does God have for us in those three verses. And then we will get back together for communion.
heart posture of, of prayer and meditation. It's, it's, it's bizarre how even a little over 60 seconds can feel so abnormal to us. I think, I think that's a warning sign, like a, a dashboard light going off saying, 60 seconds with Jesus is not enough. Uh, ho- hopefully we will spend way more time this week meditating and prayerfully being with Jesus and hearing what he has for us from his word. And so what we're going to do now is in that same posture of wor- worship, we're going to transition to our time of communion that we do every week. Uh, we serve open communion, which means that if you are a follower of Jesus, that we invite you to come to one of these two tables during the next two songs uh, to take the elements back with you at, at your table. Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, um, I want you to hear that word again, that invitation from Jesus. Come to me. Okay, rather than trying to live your life on your own, toiling and being heavy laden, come to Jesus uh, in faith. Repent of your sin. Turn from trying to live life on your own and turn to Jesus and believe that he is the one that you're longing for and that he, he died for you. And that's why we do communion every week is because it's a reminder for us of our souls. It, it spiritually satisfies and nourishes our souls to remember that it's no amount of work that we could do. It's only the work that Jesus did for us on the cross where his body was broken for us and the cracker points us to that. It's his blood that was shed for us and the juice points us to that. And it's this reminder we have weekly that no matter what voice you may have heard saying in your heart, shut up, Jesus doesn't want you. The truth of the cross will scream way louder than any of that. We have all the evidence we need that Jesus loves us when we look to the cross. Not only did God so love the world that he gave his only son, but it's also what we hear in uh, Romans 5.8, that, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean up your mess and then come to Jesus. Jesus came for you when you were still messy, when you were still sitting in the filth and rebellion of our sin. And not only did he die for us, but he continues to live for us and to actually pray for us. Listen to this verse from Hebrews 7.25. The author of Hebrews says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus didn't just die for you in your past, and then now he's done with you. He is continually in heaven at the right hand of the Father, praying on your behalf interceding for you on your behalf. The, uh, one last, I promise this, this last quote from Dane Orland. He says, our prayer life stinks most of the time. But what if you heard Jesus praying aloud for you in the next room? Few things would calm us more deeply. Okay, that's what that verse is saying. He is making intercession for you right now. Can you imagine if in, in your home you heard him through the wall on the other side of your bedroom door saying, Lord, I, Father, I pray that you would just give Colbert your joy this morning. Let him know how much we love him. Let him know how satisfied we are in him, not because of what he's done, but because of what, what we did for him when, when I went to the cross to die for him, that I've already paid his penalty. Like, put your own name in that story. Imagine Jesus interceding for you because that's exactly what Hebrews says is happening right now. And so when we come to the table this morning, it's not just, hey, I wanted some crackers and some juice to, to, do, the, to do the Christian thing uh, so I can go home and do other things. It's coming to the table and remembering the reason he is interceding for you and you have that relationship is because he already died on your behalf on the cross. So if you're able, would you stand with me? I'll pray and then we will spend some time in worship uh, and partaking of communion. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, word this morning, this invitation from your son that we can come to him whenever we are laboring and heavy laden. Lord, we confess that we need the rest that only you can provide. And we, we, we celebrate that. We give you our thanks that you have provided a way to have our sins removed, our burdens laid down because you have come in our place to live in our place, to die in our place so that we can uh, follow you and experience your love more deeply. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.